Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. This podcast was recorded originally on October the 1st, 2020. If you can imagine that. It's very, very early in the pandemic, and it was very, very early in the life of this show. You know, it was kind of before I I really understood what this show actually was. Um, But basically, what this was, was a fellow came on, we'll call him Nicholas, and essentially I had released a podcast with Dr. Lazo. Uh, I I highly recommend listening to that podcast. Um, but that podcast was about cryptocurrency and fintech. And I had put that podcast on, I believe, uh, Reddit and Facebook and Twitter, and I had gotten uh, lots and lots and lots of DMs and tweets and emails and things saying I didn't get the other side to the story. And at that time, you know, I like to say that I'm agnostic towards Bitcoin. And I believe it or not, I've done a lot of episodes on, on this, I understand. But believe it or not, I actually am uh, totally agnostic to it. I'm not rooting for or against it. Um, I have thoughts on NFTs, um, but again, that's just they're grounded from a historical perspective. Um, and so, for some reason or other, this podcast, probably because I record a, a lot of podcasts, actually, um, just didn't get released. And so, I was going through the old trusty... Uh, History Voyager podcast hard drive for something not History Voyager related. And lo and behold, I found this episode and I had some spare time and I listened to it and I thought, this episode is really, really good. So I got in touch with um, the guy who we're going to call Nicholas and I asked him, I said, hey, um, I don't know if you remember, but I found this episode we did a while back. I have no idea why this didn't make the air. Um, I actually think it's a, it's you know a rather entertaining episode, and and it's certainly very purely correct for a pro cryptocurrency side in October of 2020. And he emailed me back real fast, and he said, "No, I don't mind if you put it out." And we quickly worked out oh, a time for him to come back on the show and to talk about NFTs. And so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about NFTs, and I'm going to record that pretty soon. Um, but, you know, so the way I want my listeners to uh, address this podcast is that this was recorded in 2020. On October 1st of 2020. And this is very uh, pro. This is a very, very pro 
cryptocurrency uh, podcast um, episode from 2020. And I think you can pretty much tell where I am in regards to cryptocurrency um, from listening to this show. But in case you can't, I'm, I'm very... You know, I have an American lens, so because I am an American, and I look at it as, you know, something for people, something very useful for folks in legitimately sticky situations with their government. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't think Americans or Europeans really, or a lot of Europeans, not all Europeans, but a lot of Europeans are going to be using it. But I do think it's something that um, people, you know, in very sticky situations with their government do actually need to use. But the reason I wanted to release this episode was not because I'm hurting for content, because I'm not. But because I think it's very interesting, um, my history, my show started out as a as a history deep dive into the Spanish flu and COVID nineteen, and very very uh, quickly through promoting my podcast and my slow internet at the time, I quickly figured out that the real show, the real history show, was the history of right this second, and. I thought, you know, we're going through all these changes. Um, We're going through black swan events. We're going through all this stuff. And I think a lot of the the pro-crypto ethos actually comes from that. I think a lot of the pro-crypto ethos actually comes from the black swan events that anybody who's not 5 or 10 or whatever has been through in their life. As, as something they can remember. And they're thinking, well, at any minute, the, the currency's surely going to collapse because everything else collapsed or everything else changed and evolved. So surely that's going to change and evolve too. So let me go investigate crypto. And you see that with a lot of tech people and like Jack Dorsey and like that. And I don't know, I feel like if I'm doing a podcast about now, I feel like you have to talk about crypto in the sort of the similar way that you have to talk about gentrification and, you know, things like that. Like, this is an issue that is happening in our society. And I think it's important to listen to it. I mean, to, to chronicle it. You know, it's important to, to chronicle it. And if, if you guys want to, if you guys and gals want to want to hear this one uh fine uh but i also want to throw out a disclaimer that i'm i'm not giving anybody financial advice on this episode and um so that's a disclaimer um but yeah um so give this a a listen if you want or a skip if you don't But uh, thank you, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks. All right, everybody. Uh, Check you guys later. Bye.
This call is now being recorded. Hi, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Nicholas, who is a pro-crypto individual. Um, and I am bringing you on the podcast because I got a lot of I got a lot of emails and DMs and whatever uh, telling me that there was a side to Bitcoin that I didn't quite capture. So I was kind I was you know hoping maybe I can get see if there's another side and and whatever. So uh, Nicholas, why don't you go into uh, first of all why do you th- I mean okay. What are some of the, uh, I guess, barriers to Bitcoin being used by normal people for normal purchases, and how how is that going to be mitigated? Well, I believe right now one of the major barriers is simply adoption. We've seen a few companies flirt with accepting Bitcoin. Microsoft accepted Bitcoin for a short period of time. Uh, Newegg accepted Bitcoin for a while. They might actually currently accept Bitcoin. Um, and a few uh, other companies such as Overstock.com have accepted Bitcoin for uh, various points. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, during various points of time. Um, I, I think the, the major uh, barrier for Bitcoin is adoption and to some degree regulation because Regulation really makes companies feel comfortable with it. Um, Overstock.com, uh, I want to say got on crypto really early. I want to say like back in 2011, 2013, the CEO of Overstock was very pro-crypto. Uh, he's very anti-traditional uh, finance. Um, so he pushed Overstock to start accepting crypto real early. Um, and I think regulation is going to allow other companies to start feeling comfortable with crypto. Um, so I think regulation is a big one and adoption is a big one. Okay. Now, can you answer a question for me? Um, fundamentally, there's there's nothing really backing cryptocurrency up, is there, except for the fact that there's somebody willing to buy it from me on the other end like if i was to have bitcoin fundamentally there's nothing backing it up aside from the fact that there's somebody on the other end of a transaction is that correct that's correct but to be fair that's nearly all currencies uh nixon took the dollar off the gold standard so that's that's all currencies that's nearly all currencies, I should say. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, you don't really find a lot of gold currencies running around. It's in Antonio, oh, I wouldn't think. A lot of economies have a really hard time expanding when you peg it to gold or peg it to a commodity. That's 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 fair. That's fair. Um Okay, so your whole thing is if we just adopt so it what would get in your in your mind what would get millions of people off of 
say, the dollar or the pound or whatever and get them onto a digital currency? I mean, I feel like there could be various scenarios where people start adopting digital currencies. Um, I I mean, in the scenario where, uh, I mean, hyperinflation could lead to people uh, moving their money off of the dollar and into a different asset, whether it be cryptocurrency or gold or something like that, hyperinflation could occur. Not saying definitely it, it will, but, uh, oh, what's his name at the Fed? I can't think of it. Powell at the Fed just said that they're changing how they're going to be treating interest rates. And instead of uh, maintaining 2% inflation, they're going to be going for an average of 2% inflation, which means for the foreseeable future, we could see 25 3% inflation uh, because the Fed has been successful keeping the average inflation number below 2% for quite a few years. Um, okay. That could be a scenario. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying, like, sure, okay. But to me, I mean, to me, like, my essentially, um, my take on this whole cryptocurrency thing, especially after um, – the previous podcast I did with Dr. Lasso is essentially that that we live in a remarkable age. And, you know, everybody who's not five can remember a day when something didn't happen that now happens all the time. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of people are banking on the fact that computers can go faster and that, frankly, Internet access will pick up in places that, you know, the Internet isn't super fast mm-hmm. currently. And and I also think we live in a an uncer- a time where a lot of people are, feel uncertain. And so, like, I talk to these people all over the country and for this podcast. And one of the things everybody keeps saying is they keep thinking, first of all, they, they keep thinking the dollar is going to collapse. And, and second, because we've all now lived through a black swan event, everybody thinks another black swan event is going to happen eventually, like, like a year from now, two years from now, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hear that, but I also hear, you know, I just think, I don't know, I, I really think you, in order to get cryptocurrency more acceptable to just normal people, it has to be stable enough to use. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do what you're saying there, uh, stability. Um Andreas Antonopoulos, a number of years ago, I think said something fairly uh, cogent regarding stability, Um, and he specifically was referencing uh, Venezuela. Now, the Venezuelan boulevard has been going through hyperinflation for, I don't know, I think maybe like five or six years now, and every year, the incredibly volatile Bitcoin has 
been more stable than the boulevard. So, like, it's always against something else. So, like, Bitcoin right now is heavily volatile compared to the dollar. Um, but, like, Americans typically don't see the value of their dollar fluctuate, even though it's fluctuating constantly. Well, it doesn't fluctuate. Okay. Like, the dollar doesn't fluctuate. It fluctuates year over year, or maybe five years over five years or whatever. But it doesn't fluctuate to the point where, like, with Bitcoin, like, I could walk into a store and have one amount of money and then walk out of the store and have a completely different amount of money. But the same amount, you know what I'm saying? Like, that number is... Yeah, like, the right. the, the, the fluctuation that the, the average American is seeing isn't changing the price of a gallon of gas or a gallon of water or a gallon of milk, but it, it, it still is happening. And I mean, I, I do see what you're saying there for sure. Um, the stability like, of Bitcoin is really going to be based off of the adoption of Bitcoin. Like, there, there are a lot of people within the Bitcoin space who look at it as a investment vehicle, and that's not really how I look at Bitcoin. Uh, how I personally look at Bitcoin is Bitcoin is trust. Bitcoin is verification. Bitcoin is something that I know how more Bitcoin is going to be introduced into the ecosystem, and I can account for it, and I can personally verify it. With things like fractional reserve banking, the Federal Reserve, with the the monetary with the monetary instruments that uh, America has embraced, that doesn't make me feel more confident in the dollar. It makes me feel less confident in the dollar. Okay, give me an example of, of something the Federal Reserve did that makes you feel less confident in the dollar. It, not uh, in the abstract. In, wait a minute. Not in the abstract. In your, like, your daily life. You're sitting around the kitchen table or whatever, and, and you know, like that. Because uh, realistically, that, that's what we're talking about. True, true. Uh, the, I, I'm going to have to go back to the inflation targeting. Congress... Back in, I want to say, was it the 50s or was it the 70s? I don't remember the specific on when it was, but Congress mandated the Federal Reserve to maintain 2% inflation. That was their target. That was what Congress at that point decided was going to be safe for our economy to grow at 2%. Or to to maintain uh, a growing economy was 2% inflation. Not too fast, not too slow. Um, the fact that we're now veering away from that is, is very scary. And that is something that, for lack of better words, well, at the kitchen table, I think about. Okay, give me, a, give me a real example of how 3% inflation you're, you're thinking would affect you. Uh, isn't, let me see. I'm going to have to break out a calculator here, but I want to say 3% inflation over 10 years is astounding. Give me a moment. 
Oh shit, I'm doing my math wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. Can we go back to the specifics of the question, give you a specific example of how okay. 3% inflation is going to affect me? Exactly. That's my question. So you sit oh. around the kitchen table and you're thinking, or wherever, the couch, I don't care. But you're sitting in your real life and you're really thinking, 3% inflation is going to affect me in this way, a way that you can actually see in your life. So it's going to affect my rent. It's going to affect uh, okay. food. It's going to affect, uh, like, uh, raises. So what was the average American's raise in 2019? I want to say it was 3.2%, 3.5%. Uh, that's what Mercer.us is telling me from Google is 3.5%. So if we have 3% inflation for a couple of years, that's going to be effectively me gaining uh, instead of a percent and a half because – or I'm sorry, what was the, the average raise? Or was 3.5%. So, yeah, yeah. So instead of me getting a percent and a half in a raise, I'm only getting half a percent raise. So that's definitely going to exacerbate – uh, any stressful situations, it's going to make it more difficult. People are going to be living more hand-to-mouth. Uh, that's going to cause additional problems. Crime rates are going to go up, that type of stuff. And and I hear that. I mean, I hear the, the um, I mean, one of the fascinating statistics about, about our country is that, you know, a lot of count, most of the counties in this country don't even have a grocery store, for mm -hmm. example. Like, Believe it or not, most of the counties in this country are depopulating at a pretty prodigious rate. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still thinking that most people, like maybe not you, but most people. I mean, I'll tell you what, and this is where I, this is where I agree, or where I agree with Bitcoin could be for real. When you start seeing Bitcoin available at the grocery store, uh, not available, I mean, you know, available to use at the grocery store, or through Amazon where you can get your groceries at Amazon now, or where whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when so it's literally in the United States alone. Let me see. Countries. Let me fold up by country. In the United States alone, there are over 8,000 locations at least where you can purchase cryptocurrency. There are 8,000 locations. I know that's not a whole lot, but well, there, there are 8,000. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, 8,000 locations for 350 million people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, right. there's a bit of a bottleneck there for sure. Um, but I mean, they're like, let's see, in New Jersey alone, there are, uh, 450, give or take. There are 108, uh, cryptocurrency kiosks, uh, in New Brunswick. I'm sorry, 313 cryptocurrency kiosks in New Brunswick. And these are, and the, the site I'm looking at right now is coinatmradar.com. That's specifically looking at only cryptocurrency kiosks. Um, that doesn't even take into account people selling Bitcoin out of their, their own businesses. But there, there are, th- those do exist. And a lot of these cryptocurrency kiosks are showing up in corner stores and grocery stores alike. Bodegas, I, mean, I, I believe, is what the phrase I was looking for before. I mean, I live in one of the biggest metro areas in northern North America, and I think in my entire life uh, I've seen maybe three, maybe, oh, if yeah. that. And I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not trying to throw you on the bus. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. That this is a, I get what people are trying to say. Like, there could be a way that this is the tip of the spear, right? There could be a situation where this is the tip of the spear. Everybody, everybody has been through a black swan moment. Oh my God, a black swan moment's coming next week or, or next year. <laughs> Or whatever, right? I get that. Mm. Okay, yeah. I get, I get that this is not the calmest time to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. I understand. I understand. But I mean, okay. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you a silly example of what I'm talking about. Okay. I, I have a friend who essentially was a cord cutter before that was even a term, right? Okay. And he was doing things that, you know, <laughs> might not have been a thousand percent legal to get his entertainment. And then, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, cord cutting slowly but slowly became a thing until, I mean, I've been a cord cutter now for maybe 11 years. Okay. I mean, so I can remember when. There were literally people hanging, there were literally cable folks hanging out in my apartment, in my building. Like the cable company would just hang out in my building. They paid people. Right. And, you know, and they don't do that anymore. And I'm just saying, like, I get what you're saying and I, I get it, but I just don't, I mean. So let me ask you a question. Uh huh. When did you start using email? 1994, 3, 4, 94. Wait, wait. Did, yeah. did you, wait, wait. Are you one of the few people who actually sent an email via command line? Uh, or did okay. you use like Yahoo? You're right. You're right. My bad. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Uh, okay. Let me, let me, okay. <laughs> okay. Look, now you've been around since the 80s. Okay, now you got me thinking. 
Mm-hmm. You got me remembering now. Mm-hmm. All right. My mom got us the internet in 95. Okay. I'm pretty sure 95, no, 94. 94 because, because the Braves. 94, it was 94. Um, I'm pretty sure I was writing email before that. But I'm also pretty sure, I'm also pretty sure that nobody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're writing an email. So, so you know? was was Yahoo your first client experience with with email, or was I'm gonna say, well, it was uh, it was MindSpring. MindSpring, that that might I'm guessing that must be like a local. local yeah, it was local to your area. It was a local. Okay. It was a very local ISP, uh, probably around '94. I'm pretty sure I was writing email before that, but nobody called it that. That's the key thing. Nobody told me I was writing an email. I'm telling you looking back oh, on it. Oh, wait a second. So were you using Newsnet then? Or Newsnet? Uh, Newsnet even what it was called? Because when I say when I say email, I do specifically mean SMTP, Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, no, right. My bad, my bad. 94. The first okay. time I wrote an email was... Like that, like you're talking about, was 1994 exactly? Yeah, yeah. So 1994 okay. is a really early adoption for email. Um, for you're it. looking at like <laughs> as far as like three email carriers at that time. You're looking at Yahoo being the big number one guy on the block. Uh, like Google isn't even around at that time, so Gmail isn't even a thing. Um, most people who are using email are using it via Yahoo, and um, in many, many, many ways, Bitcoin isn't even to that point yet. Bitcoin, and you, if you look around online, you'll see people saying this, Bitcoin is email in 1992. People weren't using it. In 1992, email was strictly on the command line where you were typing in SMTP, and then it would take you through like a series of prompts um, where you were filling out each line individually. Like, if you've ever tried sending an email without a subject, you get that prompt that says, hey, what are you doing? You're about to send an email without a subject, and that's because the underlying protocol itself, SMTP, has that as a requirement. It's needed. It was before – it was something built by computer scientists for other computer scientists, so it was assumed that those computer scientists would be following all of the rules of the protocol. And that's just an artifact that we deal with today. Um, we're very much in the infancy of cryptocurrency in general. There's a lot of people who are looking at cryptocurrency to do a whole bunch of different things. Um, but really where it's at, it, it, it doesn't even have like layer two functionality yet, or at least meaningful layer two functionality. The Lightning Network is being developed. And, and is let, being me, developed. Let, me, let, let me back you up there. Let me back you up. Because I'm really smart about some things and really dumb about others. When okay. you say layer two functionality, okay, what is so that? Do you know what the T, uh, the TCP IP model is? Uh, I do not. Okay. So how the Internet works is that there are 
are it's the TCP IP protocol. So TCP is oh, damn, I should know this off the top of my head. Uh no. Transmission control protocol and the IP is the internet protocol. So TCP, okay. which is how data is divided into packets with headers and footers and different flags and all that jazz and whether it's encrypted or not, all that is on one layer while another layer, IP, is where other things happen. So it's it's basically the, the, the protocol is how computers talk to each other and like layer one is just the base layer. layer. Layer two is functionality built on top of that base layer. So Bitcoin itself is a protocol. Um, back in 2016, 2017, when Bitcoin was going through uh, like all those all-time highs, they divorced the meaning of the word Bitcoin and blockchain. But originally, Bitcoin was all of it. Bitcoin was 100% of the protocol. It was the Bitcoin protocol. And then other cryptocurrencies was using that protocol just the standard standardization of communication between uh, the computers uh, to build up upon it with Litecoin and uh, Ether and all those extra things. But the, the base protocol itself, Bitcoin, hasn't really been iterated on in a meaningful way yet. There are a few different groups building different Layer 2 technologies. Um, the Lightning Network is one of those Layer 2s, and the Lightning Network uh, is attempting to address issues that the Bitcoin protocol itself faces. Um, we were talking about earlier, before you started recording, we were talking about how there's a finite number of people who can purchase Bitcoin and get into the cryptocurrency ecosystem um, at any given moment. Um, and we didn't we didn't really go in depth there at that time, but but the layer two uh, functionality of the Lightning Network actually aims to address those those problems um, because you were saying that your uh, other guest was talking about how there there's a finite number of people who can who can get involved, make a purchase, make a transaction in a given moment, and that's due to what's called the block size or a block. Right. Every 10 minutes, Bitcoin has a block generated uh, for the ledger. And um, the number of transactions that can be on that block uh, is finite. Uh, you can only put so much information in a block before it gets too big for it to be a block. Now, the way to address this issue is actually what caused the creation of Bitcoin Cash. Have you heard of that before? I have. You have. So Bitcoin Cash was created because people were having an argument over how they should address the block limit and the block size limit. Some people just wanted to make the blocks bigger, while other people wanted to iterate on the technology and make it more efficient. Um, there's been a division. That division happened, I want to say, back in 2017. Um, 
I know that it exists, but I don't know very much about it at this point. Uh, but I do know that, or my understanding is that the uh, Bitcoin Cash immediately started encountering problems, or I shouldn't necessarily say immediately, but I'm under the impression that it did start to encounter some problems of its own once it introduced those larger limits on the block size. And I'm unsure whether or not they've ever been able to properly utilize uh, the advantages that they built into the protocol when they did split. Okay. Um, so you're saying that it's early days. Very early, Very early days. days. Yep. And, but it's, it's amazing to me that, and the whole reason I, the whole, basically the whole reason I wanted to, have this conversation with anybody at all in the first place was I kept hearing some magical year, almost like a religion for lack of a better word, that people just assume that the dollar is going to melt down in mm -hmm. two to four to six years. You know, I'm interested how the other people you've spoke with came to those specific like horizons of two to four to six. <laughs> I'm well. Um, I don't. I mean, they they didn't show me their math, so to say. <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> right. But and if one person had said it, or two people, or three people, or five people, I wouldn't have paid it any mind. Mm -hmm. But because so many people just assume that eventually we're going to go to Bitcoin. Um, and so many people did that I started assuming that too. And then I talked to this basically expert, a fintech expert, and he was like, well, hold your horses, so to say. And, you know, I kind of wanted to get the other side of the coin, like the other side of the, to use a horrible turn of phrase, the other side of the coin. <laughs> but, um, huh. I guess like one of the main problems I see with it, assuming that you could even get it to where it could be usable for not even daily life, but just whatever, is if there's no central authority, what's to stop a financial institution from like different financial institutions or what have you creating competing Bitcoin? Or competing crypto, I guess. Well, I mean, the the Bitcoin itself, as I mentioned before, is just a protocol. Anybody can take that protocol and use it however they like. So in many ways, we would go back to colonial or like just after creation uh, United States, and we would have a whole bunch of different cryptocurrencies. Uh, back, I, I don't know if you know this, but back when the United States was formed, there was no centralized dollar. That was a product of, of the Civil War. Before then, each individual bank issued their own individual currency, and merchants had to subscribe to a publication that said uh, the Massachusetts dollar is worth 30% of a New York dollar and a New York dollar is worth 140% of the Boston dollar and the 
uh, and, and I'm saying cities instead of specific banks, but that's how yeah, stuff I mean, actually happened way back in the day. I, I, so, I do know that, and I know yeah. that I know that one of the causes of the Civil War was one of the dollars essentially unexpectedly rocketed up in value to the other. I mean, I don't remember which dollar it was. But like okay. one of the dollars rocketed up to va- rocketed up in value to the other dollar, and it actually caused a panic, um, yep. or helped to cause a panic. And I mean, I don't know. To me, like, because when I put on my historian hat, which is a hat that I wear quite frequently, because uh, <laughs> my podcast is fundamentally, or used to be fundamentally a history podcast, and now it's well, the, basically the reality is a 2020 pretty much. But um, the thing I notice when I put on my history hat is when you have competing financial institutions, that is going to be very unstable for people. Very unstable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but um, I had a you know, I'm of the age where I'm just of the age where I can start to have not my friends, but like their older brothers would have like a Betamax versus VHS conversation. <laughs> okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like oh. not my friends, but my older brothers, <laughs> like my way, like their way older brothers would have these conversations about, oh my God, Betamax. You screwed me over. And if they get upset about right, if they get upset about that, think how upset you're gonna be if you if you get the wrong like you go invest in, I don't know, uh you know, Bitcoin of uh First National or <laughs> Bank of the US or whatever, US Bank. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, uh <laughs> Bank of America Bitcoin just goes way past it. For example, so, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there, and there, there actually is going to be nothing stopping that. Um, so, I mean, we may, we could see a period where Chase Bank releases their own cryptocurrency and U.S. Bank releases, releases their own cryptocurrency, but I only see those types of things happening if there's like a pretty radical break. Uh, with those corporate entities and the United States. Like, I don't see a world where the United States is a functioning economy and the U.S. bank issues their own cryptocurrency. Now, I could see the Federal Reserve issuing their own cryptocurrency. That, I think, would be slightly different. How would that – now, walk me through that. How would that be different? from, say, a dollar, like a normal greenbacky dollar? Well, I, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, so I'm, I I know that it's a very, very, very high percentage of the U.S. dollar right now is already completely digital. When the Federal Reserve, dude, I, I know they have like three or four different ways of creating money. One of them is literally just putting money in a bank account. 
And when they do that, when they literally just put money in a bank account opposed to the other ways they have of creating money, when they do that, it's literally them opening up a spreadsheet and putting a number in there and then closing the spreadsheet. So in many ways, it could be functionally the same. Um, I happened to listen to a small snippet of the Joe Rogan podcast, and he had some, I want to say, VJ or, or some guy who was really big on MTV back in the 90s was on. And he was talking about the fact that we're going through a currency shortage right now, coin or a coin shortage right now. Everybody's buying stuff on Amazon. Nobody has physical cash anymore. I honestly can't think of the last time that I actually needed physical cash. I know my friends don't need physical cash. The USD is already turning very digital, and the difference between a digital USD right now and Bitcoin is the transparency. Like The transparency on the Bitcoin side or the dollar side? Well, uh, Bitcoin's transparent. I'm saying the dollar is opaque. Like, well, because I would say, I mean, I would say there's another difference between Bitcoin and the dollar. And the other difference is, you know, you can go, I mean, the dollar is literally backed by the full faith and credit of something. I forget right now what, but it's, you know, we have one of the the U.S. government. Exactly. Thank you. We have one of the biggest economies in the world. I mean, if not the biggest, one of the biggest. And I mean, also, like, I'm pretty technically literate. You're probably pretty technically literate. Like, we probably have pretty technically literate friends. But you got to think about, you don't, okay, so don't think about us, right? Think about people that aren't super technically literate. I mean, I have a podcast, and I know people my age that don't know how to go to a podcast. (laughs) Okay, And I'm not that old. Mm -hmm. Just saying. (laughs) I mean, I I don't. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah. Um, And plus, I mean, I live in a state where Internet access isn't, anywhere close to even like you know I can go 30 minutes up the street or literally 30 minutes up the highway and internet access falls off a cliff that except is for a phone mm-hmm. you know yeah just saying well I mean the there are a lot of hurdles for for Bitcoin to gain, um, like, major, major, major levels of adoption. But when people bring up Internet speeds and stuff like that, that doesn't particularly concern me because Bitcoin, I mean, they've used transistor radios to perform Bitcoin transactions. There are Bitcoin satellites that are actually circling the world right now that, can perform Bitcoin transactions that are, I think there may even be one that's mining. 
um, although I'm not certain about that. Um, but you can tweet a transaction. So a, a person with uh, like 1996 Nokia phone can meaningfully interact with the Bitcoin network and perform transactions. So I don't necessarily see bad internet being a major hurdle. It's definitely a hurdle. It'll definitely make it more difficult for people to use Bitcoin in a meaningful way in areas where they don't have good internet. But they still have the ability to perform transactions. It doesn't take that much. Like a tweet. So when Twitter was created, the reason why it has a 180 character limit is because that is the limit of the SMS protocol, simple or simple mail. Yeah, yeah, it was simple the original mail, so. texting. Right, right. Zero, the, the, zero, yeah. Yeah, and Bitcoin can – you can have a signed transaction sent to the Bitcoin network off of a tweet within 180 characters. So I don't see internet speeds as being a particular problem. Uh, the, the the real issue that I see with Bitcoin is the ease of which a user can lose everything. Because like with Bitcoin itself, uh, or within the Bitcoin community, there's a phrase, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. With that, pretty much means it was coined after the 2013 Mount Gox hack. Uh, during that hack, a whole bunch of people left all of their Bitcoin on the exchange. The exchange got hacked. All of that Bitcoin was lost. The exchange couldn't come up with the the what was owed. And I think there's still lawsuits to this day being sorted out regarding Mount Gox. But if you don't have your private keys, then you don't actually control your Bitcoin. So if you don't have your password, for lack of better words, um, I don't know how technical you want me to get here, but, like, if you don't have your password, you don't have access to your account. And there's no password reset. There's nobody you can go to and say, hey, I forgot my password. Can you give me a new password? That doesn't exist within the world of Bitcoin. So I think that's going to be one of the major hurdles to get over. Well, right. And it's a trust. For sure, it's a trust issue. I mean, for sure. And it's like a, you know, what do you mean I can't reset my password? That kind of thing. But uh, Right, right. Thank you very much. That was... Um, Nicholas, he was kind enough to come on. This is an older episode. Um, we recorded it back in 2020. It feels weird to say back in 2020, to be honest with you, but here we are. And like I say, I recorded this episode, and basically all my, my crypto episodes are essentially because I, I keep hearing from people independently, even before I bring it up, that that crypto is going to be a the future. And I don't know if I believe that, actually, now that we're in 2022. I really don't know if, if I believe that. 
And I, I certainly didn't believe it then. I don't think so. Um, but I don't believe it now. I, I believe as long as Congress chooses to regulate it as a current, as a uh, security, rather, um, I think it's going to be an investment. I don't know how good of an investment it's going to be, um, but it's an investment. And we're going to have uh, Nicholas back on the podcast very soon. But I wanted to put this out because in, you know, I think this is a history podcast. And I, I stand by that. This is a, a history podcast, but it's the history of right this second. And I think essentially we've had a crypto dip uh, recently, which, you know, people who buy that just they they underplay it and okay i see that but i also see that i have an opinion about crypto and as an american because i'm an american um but i also see that it is useful to people who live in legitimately sticky situations around the world and i wanted to basically explore this in this episode and I, I think I did uh, period correct for um, essentially early October of 2020. But I think I see this as a, as a history. Um, it's nearly two years old now. Uh, or it'll be two years old in about eight months. But um, anyway, I was going through the hard drive and looking for something else, and I found this. I have no idea why I didn't release this. I, but he said I could, so here we are. Anyway, as always, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All righty, I'll talk to you later, folks. Bye-bye now.